Pray with me, please. Father, thank you so much for the words of testimony that we heard. Thank you so much that you're faithful and good and true. Thank you, God, that even in the tragedies of life, those difficult times that we sometimes go through, um, you are faithful there. God, thank you that you're in the business of unbreaking people. And that no matter how broken we may see ourselves, that you put us back together again. Thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I need for you, please, to, to just come and take charge of this place today. I pray, one, that you'll fill me and anoint me to speak the word today. That you'll um, guide my tongue and my mind and my heart. I need to, for you, please, to speak to hearts today. If there's someone here today who really feels so unbroken still, that you might lead them to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. There's someone here who is struggling with tragedy in their life, and uh, it's left them feeling pretty broken, that you would speak to their hearts and begin the wonderful healing process of putting them back together again. So this time is your time. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, her name, I don't know if it was ever known or not, to be honest with you, but in my past, I was at a pastor's conference, and the speaker told a story, told it as true, that he went to a lady's house, um, a member of the church, he was the pastor, and went to her home she had received the news that so many do not want, no one wants to receive, um, that she had cancer, and it was aggressive, and it was terminal. So he showed up, and fully expecting, as pastors sometimes do, fully expecting her to, to desire his prayers for her healing. And so he says to her, so... How can I pray for you today? And here's what she said. She said, Pastor, would you pray that I would not waste this suffering? Let me say it again. Pastor, would you pray that I will not waste this suffering? He was surprised at that answer and marveled at her deep faith. On Thanksgiving Day, 2009, a rising evangelical star named Matt Chandler was at home celebrating Thanksgiving with his family. He pastors, and, and for some reason I did not get the name. It's the Village Church now, but it was the first Baptist church. That kind of may help some of you. When you mention young pastors these days and a church like the Village Church, you kind of write it off. But it was the first Baptist church of somewhere, and they changed the name to Village, the Village Church. But he was home with his family that day, and in the afternoon he fell to the floor in a massive seizure. They rushed him to the hospital, and that's where he woke up, and they did the MRI, and they did the CAT scan, and discovered that he had a two-inch tumor in the front lobe of his brain. And he was 35 years old. I need to throw that in there. A couple kids and a wife. God used him greatly in the ministry. He mentions in a longer segment of the testimony that even a medical physician you know, said, you know what, I've looked at these radar. This is nothing, you know, it's, they'll do the surgery, it'll be out, and it'll be fine. 
Well, they went to a specialist. I mean, within a week, this was Tuesday, and the specialist said, you really don't understand. This is very serious. This is not only cancer. It is a very aggressive form of cancer. And on the, on the grading scale of one to four, it's a three in the aggressiveness of this cancer. We need to do surgery now. He said, I went in there expecting several options and came out with one. We need to cut it out now. So Friday, after that Tuesday, so one week and one day after Thanksgiving, he finds himself in the operating room. And they do were able to remove most of the tumor. The doctor was kind and gentle and gave the diagnosis. You're young, you're healthy. I really was aggressive in the surgery. I'm sure I didn't get all of it, but I think I got most of it. And he, uh, you know, he uh, began chemotherapy and all of that. Well, before he went to surgery, he made a video to show the church family the next Sunday. And in that, he talks about the fact how that, you know, God had been so good to him that, that everywhere, it's, it's like he said, it's the book of Hebrews chapter 11. He said, in so many times and places, you know, that, that they, they were shut the mouths of lions and put foreign armies to flight, all those different things. And he said, but when you get down to verse number 36, it talks about torment and suffering and persecution and even being sawn in two. He said, all my life, I have been the guy that things went so well. It just seemed like God just blessed whatever we touched. And then he said these words. He said, I'm grateful that God has given me the opportunity to face this with him. I'm thankful for this. That I'll have the opportunity, not only in the good time, but in the difficult time, to point others to Christ. To prove that Christ is not only enough in the good times, that Christ is enough in the difficult times. His prognosis was two to five years, even with the surgery and the chemo. If you do the math, that would be seven years ago, And gratefully, he is still cancer-free. God's grace is sufficient. Yeah, it's a good story. The dear sister that sits over here on the front row is a very dear friend of mine. I teased her. She was going to another church. And um, that church happened to help with Judgment House at that time. And I said, what are you doing over there? You obviously need to be at Dorisville. Well, gratefully, God arranged that in about a year or two. And she has been a member of our church now for several years. And her story is really much bigger. That video was about nine minutes long. And because of time, we had to cut it back a little bit. But, but you know, the thing that happened earlier in life that involved her, her being described as a hussy mama, you know, uh, as her mama said it, you know, uh, that thing. But, but, again, her husband dying very quickly and suddenly the loss of a child that lived just about 24 hours. And, and what you don't know is that and later on there was a horrific car accident. And it's just a wonder of God that she survived that. And she was unconscious, not for days, but weeks. And they did not think she'd ever speak. And if you know Jackie, she speaks a lot and well. <laughs> that, that part was definitely cured. Um, but, but it was just a horrific accident. And God has brought her back way beyond. I mean, she had to relearn everything and uh, was very gracious. But even beyond that, it wasn't too long ago um, that a grandbaby 
tragically died. So this is a lady in our midst, not a pastor somewhere, but a lady in our midst who has just experienced massive amounts of tragedy. And then yes, and if you know Jackie, you know her faith is incredible. She's madly in love with Jesus, and she's madly in love with God. And uh, it's just a wonderful story. But what do you do? For, for those of us whose life seems pretty golden even, you know, how, how, what do you do with the tragedies of life? Well, if we get this done this morning, what I'd like to do is, I'd like to take us to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And, and again, just give you a couple of thoughts and ideas um, about why suffering's allowed and, and, and some things that we need to learn through suffering when it comes. Because you said it in the video, Jackie. You said it's not a matter of if tragedy comes or if difficulty comes or if trouble comes or if tribulation comes. It's really just a matter of when. And, and what are we going to do with God when that happens? And what are we going to do with, with um, ourselves when that happens? Now, you probably need to know I'm on cold medicine so if I say something really weird today, just kind of understand that, okay? I, I got sick on a trip, and I'm, I'm on something, so just, just be aware of that, all right? Now, in 2 Corinthians, and this is, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, okay? It's probably, by the way, interestingly enough, it's probably the third letter he wrote, even though it's called 2 Corinthians, because apparently one was lost in, in, in the mix there and never made it to the Bible, and so this is 2 Corinthians, and it's a letter written to the church at Corinth. And I want to start out in verse number 1, talking about our broken family. I, I'm, I, I love the fact that, and you need to know this, if you're here today, and this may be your first time in church in a long time, and you go, yeah, I don't go to church because I'm not good enough. And what you really need to understand is, is that churches are filled with a lot of broken, messed up people. In fact, the Bible says... Everybody has sin that there's none righteous, no, not one. So it's not like churches are filled with a bunch of good people. It's filled with a bunch of folks who know they're messed up. Okay? It's kind of like a hospital. You know, you don't normally take your vacation time and go to the hospital. You normally go because you're sick. Well, I want you to tell you today that, you know, people go to church or should go to church because it's kind of like a hospital. We know we're broken and we know we need God to fix us. So that's, that's what this is all about today. So in this broken family, in verse number one, you know, it starts out, let me just read it to you, then we'll go back and look at it just real quick. It starts out by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the, now listen to this, this will mean something in a minute, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in, in the whole of Achaia. Now, now that is, that's the church family there. Now, again, I like this because of Paul. Again, if, if Paul had a rap sheet, before he met Jesus, he would have been convicted of murder and conspiracy to commit murder. He hated Jesus. Now, so a lot of y'all have heard this, but some of you haven't. He hated Jesus and he hated Christ followers. So much to the point that he went on a crusade and had these people given authority by the local temple and local synagogue, given the authority to have Christians killed and then also put into prison. So know that the guy who wrote about, a, about two-thirds of the New Testament was a convicted murderer and a, conspir a conspirator 
to commit murder. That will encourage you if you're sitting there going, God could never use me. Well, he used Paul, and Paul had a rap sheet about a mile long, really, because of the way he treated Christians. And then there's this Timothy guy. You know, Timothy, again, I like this, because Timothy, you know, you know Paul had a, a broken past, and Timothy came from a fractured family. You know, it kind of plays out like this. His mama was a Hebrew and a Jew, and his daddy was a Greek, and as far as we know, had no religious preference. He would have fitted in our culture just well because so many Christians today, or excuse me, I'm sorry, so many Americans today marked the block, no religious affiliation. So here is Timothy, and, and probably that wouldn't be a big deal except for Timothy becomes a leader in the early church, and there's this problem of this dad out here who's a Greek, and he's, and he's a Hebrew. His mom is. So he comes from this fractured broken family. And some of you come from backgrounds of families you go, you're going, you don't know how dysfunctional my family is. Well, Timothy had a fractured family and God could use him. And then you got this church. Have you ever, have you ever sit down at McDonald's and they say, well, let me tell you about this church or let me tell you about that church. Well, this is the church that people would talk about. I mean, this church, um, the church at Corinth, was one just horribly marred with sin. They were just not they were, they were just not very good Christians. Let's just be honest about it, okay? They were just not very good Christians. They were constantly battling and dividing against each other. They were just fighting. They they allowed false teachers to come in and get all over Paul and get over some things, some other things. They had they had a sexual sin in the church that was so bad that when Paul wrote the letter, the first Corinthian letter in chapter five, he said, this kind of sin, the lost people don't even do. And you're letting it happen in church. It was a crazy, crazy situation. They, 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 they were so proud of their gifts, um, their spiritual gifts, and yet they abused them. These are the guys that had a, a drunken party and called it the Lord's Supper. That, now, how would you like to go to a church that's kind of crazy like that? And then, and then we got these, this group of people that he says to all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, okay? All these, all these different people that are called saints. And let me just tell you the truth. It's not that they were like saintly necessary. It's just that that's a good word for them because the word saint means to be called out. They were called out by God to be part of his family. Now... I tell you all of that to encourage you because in spite of the fact that Paul had a rap sheet that included murder and conspiracy to commit murder, he was still an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God because it's God who calls the shots, not our past. Come on now. Come on now. It's God who calls the shots about who we are and not our past. And, and in spite of the fact that Timothy came from this dysfunctional, fractured family, which was a big deal in some Jewish circles, the fact that he had a great daddy was a big deal, he still called Timothy our brother. You know why? Because it is God who calls who you are, and it's not the, your, your relationships or view of people have of you in the community. And I'm glad to report to you that the church of Corinth, as messed up as it was, it was still the church of God because the church is determined by God and not our performance. See, my position, 
My position with God is not determined by my performance, but by a man named Jesus Christ and what he did on a Roman cross. So if you're sitting there today... If you're there today and you're sitting there, you need to know something. No, you never will be perfect. And God never did say you had to be perfect. All you've got to do is trust the one who was perfect. And that was Jesus Christ on the cross. That's all you've got to do. That's all you've got to do. And you can walk out of here today, and it's on the radio so far today, as far as we know, that the preacher said. Now, you may want to play this card on your wife later on. The preacher said, you're a saint if you know Jesus Christ. Just call yourself St. Steve or St. John or St. Peter. You know, it all works because the Bible says that we are, those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ, we have been called out. We've been called out to service to God. Now, listen to this. It gets better. How does that happen? How can a murderer slash conspirator to commit murder, how can a guy from a very dysfunctional family, how can a group of people that are not very godly still be called the church of God, and how can people in a region that aren't saintly still be called saints? This is how it says it. Verse 2. Grace to you. See, we become what we are in the sight of God, not by our performance or worthiness, Jackie, but by His grace. His grace extends out to us and makes us. Paul was an apostle by the grace of God. Timothy was a brother by the grace of God. The church of God at Corinth was the church of God at Corinth by the grace of God. And the saints were saints because of the grace of God. And Paul extends and says, this grace to you. See, there's a grace... That's a saving grace. And the day I trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, for me it was October 26, 1975. On that day, I experienced God's saving grace. But he didn't stop there. He gives us sanctifying grace. And that's a big word that simply means this. He gives us grace to keep walking with Jesus throughout our life. We have living grace. And then finally, one day, somewhere over here in the, in the years to come, and we don't know when it's going to be, that there's going to be a dying grace. Some of you all wound up today say, I'm just not ready to die. You ain't dying yet. But when the time comes, you're going to find out His grace will be sufficient. So whether it's saving grace or living grace or dying grace, His grace is sufficient. Whether it's a day when everything's golden or whether it's a day when everything is difficult, His grace still is sufficient. And when grace explodes, peace happens. When grace explodes, peace happens. When on that day you met Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, when you encountered God's saving grace, peace with God exploded. It happened. And if we journey through life and we experience living grace, then peace explodes in our lives. And it doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't spend on things that are happening. It depends on God's amazing grace. And I say somewhere in the future, you're going to take your last breath. You may see it coming. You may not. But if you're one of those ones who get to see it coming and you know your days are limited... God's grace 
will give you the peace to die in peace. Grace really is amazing. Grace really is amazing. So he says, grace to you and peace from our God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse number three, he, <coughs> excuse me, in verse number three, he kind of shifts gears on us. So we got broken people who have encountered and experienced God's grace living in a broken world. Now, in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I've said these things to you that you might have peace. Now, you just need to know something, he would say. He'd say that in this world, Jackie, you said this in your video, in this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Now, that might mean that God is going to take you through a storm, or He may take you around a storm. But it says, regardless, that His grace is sufficient for us. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You will have tribulation. Listen, you're going to have tragedies. They're going to happen in your life. If you live long enough past the age of five, you're going to have tragedies in your life. They're going to happen. But Jesus says, hey, be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, Paul, in verses 3, gives us a wonderful description of God. And someone here needs to hear this. Because you've been taught that God's mad at you. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There is a wrath of God. Right now, God is extending grace to you and giving you the opportunity to trust His Son, Jesus Christ. But if you enter eternity without Jesus Christ and experiencing His payment for sin on the cross, you will experience the angry wrath of God. Jesus died that men and women didn't have to experience that. But if you choose to die without Jesus, you will experience the wrath of God. But I'm talking about believers. Some of y'all have been taught by some preacher that God's up there and he's mad at you. That every day is a bad day for God. And when you mess up, he just wants to shoot a lightning bolt your way. Would you listen how Paul describes God to the believer? To the believer. Blessed be the God and Father... Of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing he says. That God is a God of love. And you say. And where did you get that from preacher? I followed you in your translation. And I don't see the word love there. Well watch this. Blessed be the God and Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten Son, God as Father, Son, He loved the world so much He gave His Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God is a God of love. He extends this love to you today by giving you this opportunity to respond to the gospel of peace. He extends His love for you today by knowing that He'll walk with you when tragedy comes knocking at your door. He's that kind of God. He's a God of love. But he's more than that. He's also the father of mercies. It's been said, and it's true, 
that grace is God's unmerited favor and mercy is his unmerited kindness. And God extends his unmerited favor through his son, Jesus Christ, that people like me and you could have our sins forgiven, that we could be forgiven. He sends his kindness to us. Now watch now, y'all take this home. He extends his kindness to us every day. We just blind. We have a difficult time seeing the kindness of God. I propose to you today that God sends love notes every single day to his kids saying, I love you, sign daddy. I'm telling you, he sends love notes to us. Look around, experience what happens in your life. All the things that happen to you, the things that you go, I don't deserve this. That's a love note from the Father. The biggest one being the one that I'm reading to you right now. He's the Father of mercies. And He's the God of all comfort. The word comfort there could probably best be translated in the term, in the word of encouragement. Encouragement. I said this about two. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. God is for his children. God is for his kids. I know you live out there in a world where your boss thinks you stink, your wife thinks you stink, your kids think you stink, and you're pretty well convinced you just stink. Well, let me tell you something. If you're a child of God today, you won't hear those words come out of the mouth of the Heavenly Father hey, you stink. He loves you. He redeemed you. He paid for you. He's on your side. Well, actually, you're on his side, but that's another story. I'm just here to tell you, folks. He's the God of mercy. He's the God of encouragement. He's the God of love. And this wonderful God of love cares enough for us to give us logic and reason in tragedy and suffering. We will never understand all of it. Matt Chandler said, I hope I, get to grow, I hope I get to grow old and drink coffee as a 70-year-old man. This is before his surgery. He said, I hope that I get the chance to walk my daughter down the aisle. I hope to see my son grow up and be the athlete I never was. He goes, but we'll just wait and see what God has for me. Amen. We'll just wait and see. What God has for me. So we'll never understand all of it. But I want to tell you this. I want to leave this with you today. That as a child of God. When tragedy and tribulation and trouble comes into our world. There is valuable reasons for it. Look what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Who comforts us. In all our affliction. There's that word comfort again. There's that encouragement. That when affliction and troubles come. That there's a God who encourages and comforts us. That's the first thing you need to know. That you'll never go through a tragedy. You'll never go through a tribulation. You'll never go through a difficult time. If you're a child of God, the Father will not leave you nor forsake you. The song says it best. It says, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? 
Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is He. Oh, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know He watches me. Yes, I know He watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For His eye is on the sparrow, and I know, I know He watches over me. If He watches over the sparrow... You take it to the bank, friend. Think about Jack's parents. Went up for three days and spent three weeks. I think about the Burtises, both sides of that family. I think about Krista on that hard day when her grandmother died. Put his eyes on the sparrow. And you can take it to the bank. He's watching over you. He's watching over you. That's good. But here's something better, I think. He goes on and says this. Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are any in any affliction. One of the things that comes out of our personal suffering is when we are able to comfort others as they walk the same valley we've walked. I can never comfort a person who's lost a child like Jackie can. I can never comfort a person who's lost a spouse like Jackie can. I can never... Comfort a grandparent who loses a grandbaby like Jackie can. I can never comfort a person who's gone through a horrific accident with months and months and months of rehabilitation like Jackie can. And when God allows these things to come into our life, and by the way, they don't have to be atomic explosions. They can be as much as an injury to a child, a four-wheeler accident. You didn't get the promotion at work. You felt worthless. You felt not accepted. You felt prejudiced against. When we go through these things as a child of God... God says, I'm going to comfort you. And when you experience that comfort, when you find someone who's walking down that same road, then you can comfort them. Yeah, see, here's the deal. This is why it's so important important that we take off these stinking plastic masks that we think we have to wear. We put on our little smiles when we come to church and everybody thinks our life is perfect. It's the Facebook scenario. Everybody's life that seems is perfect on Facebook. Surprise, they're not. As someone said, they're just showing you the highlights. But as we go through these valleys, these difficult times, whether it be with our children or our marriage or our spouse or personally, as we experience God's redemption and rescue and forgiveness and comfort and healing... May we have the boldness to be transparent enough to share that with folks. So we can comfort others. See, that's what family's all about. 
That's what family's all about. We can comfort one another because we've been comforted by holy God. How about that? How about that? Let me just get... I, I, I want to get you out on time, good. Look at verse number 8. That's the one thing I want you to take home. That's bottom line number one. When I go through suffering, God comforts me so I can comfort others. You know why you've loved this series? Because people told their stories. You've loved this series. Because if you, listen, every person has a story. Tell your story. Tell your story. Now look at verse number 8. Paul speaking again says, Now listen, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now, we take all we can do is paint a broad picture here of those sufferings. We know that Paul was involved in riots on the wrong side. We know he was personally attacked. Um, we, we know that, 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 that he had uh, illness, perhaps, with his eyes. We know several things. Uh, he was locked up in prison. So, so Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened. Have you ever been utterly burdened before? Come on now. I ain't going on until you say, yeah. Have you ever been utterly burdened? We have. See, you've got to be transparent. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Our, our Jesus knew that. In the garden it says, he told the boys, he said, I am burdened to the point of death. That's what Jesus said. So Paul says we are burdened to we despaired of life itself. Indeed, he says in verse 9, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Ever been there? Some of you have. I'm going to have to be honest with you. I've not. I've not. But some of you have. You ever wonder why God? God, why? Why did you allow for us to be so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself? God, why, why did we feel like we received the sentence of death? God, why? Verse 9. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on God who raised us to dead. This incredible man, Paul, says, listen, I, I felt like I was going to die. I felt like I had a death sentence on my life. But I want you to understand, I think I know why God allowed it. Because more than anything, someone say more than anything. More than anything, God wants us to rely on Him and not ourselves. That is huge for our Father. That He wants us to lean on Him. I know. If we were writing the book, 
it would be entitled, I think it's, I don't know who said this, but one's got it, the way life ought to be, the way things ought to be. And we would, we would write our book, and, and every illness would be, be cured, and, and no one would die unexpectedly, and, and, and there would be no war, and all of this. We would do all of that. Well, here's the deal. He's God, and I'm not. And he's just a whole lot smarter than me. And I'm learning after 62 years... You just got to sometimes say, God, I don't understand, but I'll tell you what, you haven't lied to me yet. So I think I'll just trust you. I think I'll just trust you. I think that's where we need to be. We just simply need to trust the God who created it all. Later on, Paul got pretty sick. And it's recorded in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he asked God, God, take this illness away, take it away, take it away. And three times God said no. But here, what he says is, is kind of like the bottom line. But he said to me, this is God speaking to Paul. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, now Paul speaking, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So here's the deal. You're going to have tribulation. If somebody lied to you and said, just trust Jesus and you have a perfect life, Like I said, they lied to you. Jesus said in this world you're going to have tribulation. But as a child of God, as a child of God, you have a father who will never leave you nor forsake you. You have a God that's in 100% total control. I don't know how long Matt Chandler is going to live. He doesn't know how long he's going to live. He don't know if that cancer is gone forever or for one more year. But here's what Matt Chandler knows. His father does know. And when you go through these difficult situations in life, you need to know something. Your father knows, and your father's in control. Would you bow your heads, please, with me? If you're here today, and you've never experienced this thing called grace that we talked a lot about at the beginning of the sermon, we have a time of decision at the end, and It really just gives you an opportunity to come and ask questions. Now, that's all in private, not public. We're not going to embarrass anybody. But but we won't give you the opportunity. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front here in a moment. And he's got a blue plaid shirt on. He'll be standing right down here in the middle. And I I want to tell you that a relationship with God is not about performance. It's not about you being good enough because you're not and I'm not. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. Believing what Jesus did 2,000 years ago when he died on the cross. Paying the price for our sins. And if we're willing to turn from our sin and follow him, God is willing to forgive us. To apply that grace to our lives. we got some friends who'd love to tell you a little bit more about that. And, and we'll do it after church. If you say, I ain't walking out in front of 300 people. Well, catch us after church. I mean, this is too big. It's huge. It's huge. And if you're here today and you're going through a tragic time 
Please understand my point today was not to make light of that tragic time, that hard time. My point only was this. to Make sure you understand that God, as, you're, as a child of God, God walks with you. And I'll say this. If you're not a child of God, he wants to walk with you and begin that relationship with Jesus Christ today. If there's any other decision you need to make, want somebody to pray with you, we got some folks who will come pray with you. We'll be down front here. If you'd like to know about joining our church, we can talk about that. Baptism, we can talk about that. Most importantly, do you know Jesus? And do you understand he walks with you? Thanks, God, for this opportunity, and thank you for this privilege. Father, I pray that this time will be your time. I pray the Holy Spirit will draw men and women to you, and, Father, that hearts will be comforted as we go through these days of tribulation, trouble, and trials. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.